Well, today we're going to go a little more academic. We're going to go to the classroom a little bit more today. As if you've been tuning in over this week, you know that the first day we talked about the priority of Adventist education, both from a familial standpoint in the choices that we make and avoiding the choices of the rivers of Damascus in the story of Naaman and the priority and the blessing that exists in the River Jordan. Yesterday we talked about the priorities and the need that we have as a people to shed the Laodicean condition and make sure that all the resources that we have, all of the commitment that we have is going to support the work of the church before Jesus comes. And today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into the philosophical picture that God has given and ordained for Adventist education in its inception in 1872 that carries itself all the way through to today. So before we begin, let us pray. Gracious Father, we just thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have had this week to draw closer to you. And though the devil has tried to challenge us with obstacles, you have overcome them. And we're so grateful that we can still meet here together physically, but Lord, also in utilizing technology to reach out across the globe. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall heavily upon us I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my lips with a coal from the altar of heaven and hide me, Lord, again behind the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. The keys to our educational mission. This presentation this morning serves as an operational vision for the Michigan Conference Education Department. It is based on core principles found in the book, Education. And these philosophical principles have been translated into three basic practical objectives that we propose should undergird every program in our educational system. You see, Adventist education has a very distinct philosophical approach. It has a distinct aim. It has a distinct focus. And it has a distinct outcome. Notice what Ellen White says in the book Education. Our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. There is a need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than the pursual of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. It has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. And notice this. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for higher joy of wider service in the world to come. Additionally, Education, page 14, says, In a knowledge of God, all true knowledge and real development have their source. Wherever we turn, in the physical, the mental, or the spiritual realm, in whatever we behold apart from the blight of sin, this knowledge is revealed. Whatever line of investigation we pursue, 
with a sincere purpose to arrive at truth, we are brought in touch with the unseen, mighty intelligence that is working in and through all. The mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God, the finite with the infinite. Can you imagine? The effect of such communion on body and, body and mind and soul is beyond estimate. We have a different focus in Adventist education. We have a different aim. We have a different focus. Notice again, education page 15. Through sin, the divine likeness was marred and well nigh obliterated. Man's physical powers were weakened. His mental capacity was lessened. His spiritual vision dimmed. He had become subject to death. Yet, the race was not left without hope. Can you say amen to that? By infinite love and mercy, the plan of salvation has been devised, had been devised, and a life of probation was granted. Notice this. To restore in man the image of his maker, to bring him back to the perfection in which he was created, to promote the development of body, mind, and soul, that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. This is the object of the great op- the object of education, the great object of life. So a different aim. A different focus. And prayerfully, a different outcome. Such an education, Ellen White says, provides more than mental discipline. It provides more than physical training. It strengthens the character so that truth and uprightness are not sacrificed to selfish desire or worldly ambition. It fortifies the mind against evil. Instead of some master passion becoming a power to destroy, every motive and desire are brought into conformity to the great principles of right. As the perfection of his character is dwelt upon, the mind is renewed and the soul is recreated in the image of God. Friends, I want to challenge you. If you've never read the book Education, I would challenge you to spend time reading that book. It is well worth your time. And the first four chapters of that book really undergird the, phil- the philosophical elements and basis for why Adventist education exists and what it should look like. So to summarize, we have a different aim. The harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. We have a different focus. To restore in man the image of his maker. And thirdly, we're looking for a different outcome. We want strength and character, fortified mind, and recreated soul. Can you say amen? That's why Adventist education exists. It is truly a spiritual work. The book Education is very philosophical. It has philosophical principles. And what I'm going to share with you now is what I would determine to say is a practical application of these philosophical principles that are found in the book Education and what we have just talked about here in our introduction. 
The key three can be described as this. The philosophical thrust of Adventist education can be synthesized into three basic operational strategies that we call in the Michigan Conference the key three. If these three elements are seen within our schools, I submit to you that we will be more likely to see success in Adventist educational outcomes. I will also say to you that these key, the, the three keys were not something that I came up with. Of course, anything good is because God did it. But actually, many, many years ago, I was at a board retreat for the Michigan Conference at Camp Osable, and I was invited to attend that board retreat. I was chaplain of Great Lakes Adventist Academy at that time, and Elder Don Livesay, our, our, at that time, president of the Lake Union Conference, he was our guest speaker. And he came and he presented these three keys. And he proposed them to be the operational elements that we should utilize if we want to see success in Adventist education. And I wrote them down. I never forgot them. And they have been guiding practical principles that I have utilized in my work as an administrator, both as a principal and now as superintendent. So what are they? First, to bring students to the foot of the cross. Second, to have quality at all levels. And thirdly, to train young people in the mission and the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You could really flip that around because message really drives mission. So it could say training young people in the message and the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So let's break this down a little bit more in detail. What does it mean to bring students to the foot of the cross? The first and probably the most important of the key three. Our goal, based upon the counsel that we have in the book Education, our goal is to introduce young people to Christ and the gospel. You can say amen if you'd like. To show them a Savior that died to save them out of his inestimable love for them. Our desire and prayer is for the personal conversion of each student to the love of Christ and the acceptance of his transformational power to change their life. Every teacher should consider themselves a minister of education. You know what I tell my teachers? You teach math and spelling on the side. Your main role is as an evangelist to the heart of a young person. That's why Adventist education exists. Yes, we have academics, and those are tremendously important, and we're going to talk about that in our second key. But the main reason, the primary reason, I will say, that Adventist education exists is to bring young people to the foot of the cross. Can you say amen? 
There is no other reason for Adventist education to exist because there are plenty of other institutions that are providing academic instruction, that are providing holistic education and getting practical opportunities available for students and doing this and doing that. There's all kinds of of opportunities educationally, but only Adventist education is the institution that is offering a distinct Seventh-day Adventist education for young people who will be trained and who will be introduced to Christ and then we'll be able to take that knowledge and that experience and go and win souls for the kingdom of heaven. That's why Adventist education exists. And we should never forget it. So every teacher, and by the way, just so you know, every year we obviously, in a conference that has over 100 teachers, we have new teachers that come in. Every teacher in our new teacher orientation goes through the very seminar that you are going through right now. Because it is vitally important for us to understand what undergirds all of our actions and application as educators before we get into the classroom. So every teacher should consider themselves a minister of education. Their role In the classroom, some people might have an issue with this, their primary role is evangelistic. Period. We're already providing programming, by the way. Spiritual programming, Bible classes, um, all those kinds of things. But what we're saying here in this first key We're wanting to change the focus more from a corporate classroom type of setting where spirituality can become a curriculum in a sense to more of a personal approach where the teacher is coming alongside the student, building relationships with the student, and then because of that relationship and discipling through that relationship are bringing that young person to the foot of the cross. Don't get me wrong. Bible class is critically important. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a chaplain. Critically important. Worships, critically important. But those are corporate. Important, but corporate. We're wanting to even go a step further and challenge ourselves as educators to become personally acquainted with our students relationally and then personally invite them to Christ. It's not just me that's saying this. Notice education, page 30. In the highest sense, the work of education and the work of redemption are one. For in education as in redemption, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It was the good pleasure of the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. The great principles of education are unchanged. They stand fast forever and ever, for they are the principles of the character of God. Notice this. To aid the student in comprehending these principles and in entering into that relation with Christ should be the teacher's what? First effort and his or her temporary or intermittent, no, constant aim. The teacher who accepts this aim 
is in truth a co-worker with Christ, a co-laborer with God. Can you say amen? What a privilege and an opportunity is ours as ministers of education. So bringing young people to the foot of the cross is our first key. Second key, quality at all levels. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Last night we heard a powerful message by Pastor Darrell Bentley on the life of Daniel. And I'm going to reference Daniel again, but in a different way. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, we see that Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps. This was not anything new for Daniel and his three friends. Daniel and his three friends distinguished themselves differently at the very beginning of their captivity in Babylon. They followed God and they were loyal to God, and because of that, the, 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 out, the consequence of that loyalty to God meant amazing blessing, blessings that followed them in their life. They were ten times wiser than their contemporaries. These satraps saw Daniel, and they became jealous of his position. And they sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Do you know what this means, friends? It means that these jealous satraps looked through every single part of Daniel's professional life. They looked at his accounting. Was he honest? They looked at his punctuality. Was he on time? They looked for anything they could possibly find that they could bring before the king and say, Daniel is, he's subpar. He's not cutting it. Why would you put him in charge of the entire 120 provinces, why would you elevate him above even the three, the three presidents? Look at all of, this, all of these things that Daniel is falling down on. No, they couldn't find anything in Daniel's professional life that they could exploit. And because of that, the glory of God was able to be proclaimed because they said the only thing we're going to trip him up on is his loyalty to God. I want you to keep this in mind as we talk about the quality that we must have in Adventist education. What does quality at all levels mean? Well, I told you I was going to talk about academics. Someone that says that a school is really, really spiritual, but the quality of the academics is poor, that's not going to fly too far with me. There's too much evidence in the Bible, Daniel and his three friends specifically, that shows that when you have spiritual priorities in place, you are going to have quality in everything else that you do in your life. You cannot disassociate spiritual commitment with quality and professionalism. It is impossible. They go together. Is our God a God of quality? 
Is our God a God of perfection? Absolutely. So our institutions should reflect a level of quality that is the consequence of our commitment to Him. If you look at the earthly tabernacle, the earthly tabernacle was meticulously kept. It was ordered. It was professional. It was clean. And we in Adventist education need to make sure that when we are examined by families, that everything that we are able to do to maintain a high level of quality is taking place, whether it's in academics. We need to have solid lesson plans. We need to know and understand the content that we're teaching. We need to be able to be transitional in our instruction and have the content in our minds to the point where we can free flow outside of being glued to a textbook. And if we have deficits within our abilities from a content standpoint, we need to buoy those up. We need to improve those. We need to make sure that when our students are moving from grade to grade, that we as educators have done our responsibility to make sure that educational standards and benchmarks have been met. What about some of the other things? Communication, customer service, getting our grades up for parents to view in a timely manner. Professionalism and the way we dress and the way we carry ourselves and the way that we interact with our church communities and our families. The cleanliness of our classrooms and our buildings. When families walk into our buildings and they go into the bathrooms, are the bathrooms clean? Do they smell good? I'm telling you that sometimes in a family's mind, you can make or break their desire to be at your school depending on how the bathroom smells <laughs> or how clean the classroom is. Because these things seem to, in people's mind, have a correlation to the kind of product they're going to receive for their child and the quality of the product that they are going to pay for in the tuition dollars that they put into the school. We need good leadership not just from the administration, but every teacher is a leader. Every teacher is a leader. We need leadership. There's a big difference between leadership and management. Management maintains a trend and just continues to facilitate it going forward. Leadership is about looking around the corner and seeing what kind of directional change needs to happen in order to maintain a good course that continues to facilitate the success of our institution. Hiring standards, that's for me. We need to make sure that we have high hiring standards. That first and foremost, the spiritual element is in place in that teacher's heart. That they have a personal devotional life. You can't give away something that you yourself don't have. Just like you can't ask an English teacher to step into a chemistry classroom because they don't have chemistry in their minds. You cannot ask an Adventist teacher to share Christ with students if they themselves are not sitting at the feet of their Savior first. And I will tell you in our hiring practices, one of the questions we always ask our candidates every single time is, tell me about your devotional life. How do you draw close to Christ yourself? And then we ask them to describe to us 
how they translate that personal experience into witnessing to their students every day. That is a primary question we ask every candidate that we interview. Consistency. One of the things I think that frustrates students the most is inconsistency. You may tend to, to fall on the side of being more strict with rules in your classroom or what have you, and as long as you're kind and loving, that may not be an issue. But if you're inconsistent in the enforcement of those rules, if you're inconsistent in the structure of how your classroom is, and the students never know from, from one day to the next how you're going to be as an educator, then that is going to be a challenge for them. So we need to make sure that we have consistency and also accountability. Let me ask you a question this morning. If Daniel would have lacked quality at any level of his professional life, would he have had an opportunity to witness for God? Yes or no? No. He would not have. It would have been over immediately. If Daniel would have been skimming a little cash off of, uh, you know, whatever transactions were happening there in the, in the realm... And, and the auditors that would have been hired by the satraps found that and presented it to the king, Daniel's finished. If Daniel would have been inconsistent and tardy and not reliable and, and wasn't giving his reports on time, that would have been something that would have made it difficult for the king to maintain the position that Daniel had. No, the only way that Daniel was able to proclaim the glory of the Lord was because everything in his professional life had high levels of quality. We all know that we're human. We all know that, that there's days when we're not able to, to carry forward our responsibilities the same way. But what is the consistency of our institutions? What is the consistent quality, and how is that reflected? Because if we lack professional quality at any level in our schools, we run the risk of handicapping our ability to witness for God. It doesn't mean we have to have the newest buildings. It doesn't mean we have to have the latest and greatest of everything. It just means that what we have, we do at a high level of quality. Let me just speak openly and plainly with you. We are in a climate in the educational world where there are a lot of options out there. 30 or 40 years ago, a family, if you put 7th-day Avenue school across the brick building, they will come. Today, it's not that way. There are a lot of different choices that are available for families. And if we do not maintain a level of quality and professionalism and customer service and are not willing to go the extra mile, we are putting a ready-made choice that's the alternate choice from our schools to the other schools that lay around us. And so we have to keep that in mind. Additionally, it is critically important for our young people to be in our schools, amen? Because the home and the school and the church, those are the three environments where children spend all of their time and they're interfacing with contexts that either are congruent with a pathway to heaven or are incongruent with a pathway to heaven. And we need to make sure that our children are in our schools. If we don't have quality at all levels, we are putting an excuse in our family's hands for them to go down the street to somewhere else. 
And we have to take a serious look at that and make sure that that is not the case. If we are doing everything we can to the best of our ability to have quality at all levels, then if that family is making a different choice, it is a spiritual matter now. Not a quality issue, not a professionalism issue. It's a spiritual matter. Lastly, the mission and the message. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gave us the Great Commission. And in Matthew chapter 25, we also see part of that mission encapsulated in how we treat each other. And in Seventh-day Adventist schools, we have to make sure that we are providing practical opportunities for students to test the theoretical information we give them about what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist citizen of this world preparing for the next world, but we also have to put them in a position where they can taste and see that God is good by giving them practical application of that. Ellen White was so clear about this in Christian service, and years and years ago, I was asked by my dear friend Gary Suds, who was then director of education at the Lake Union, to serve on the Lake Union Youth Evangelism Committee. And as part of that uh, committee responsibility, we were given the book Christian Service, and we were asked to read specific passages of that book. And I will tell you, when I read this passage that I'm going to share with you in Christian Service, page 64, I was convicted to the heart. Because I recognized that while we were providing a lot of theoretical opportunities through worships, through, through classes, through weeks of prayer, for all those kinds of things, we were not doing a good enough job about... Uh, not doing a good enough job of putting our students in a position where they could practically apply the theoretical information that we were sharing with them about what it means to be a Christian. Are you following me? And this passage right here hit me over the head like a ton of bricks. Ellen White says, Christian Service, page 64, it is necessary for their complete education that students be given time to do missionary work, time to become acquainted with the spiritual needs of the families and the community around them. They should not be so loaded down with studies that they have no time to use the knowledge they have acquired. They should be encouraged to make earnest missionary effort for those in error, becoming acquainted with them. Jesus' methodology and taking to them the truth by working in humility, seeking wisdom from Christ, praying and watching unto prayer, they may give to others the knowledge that has enriched their lives. She said it is necessary to their complete education. Friends, if we are not providing these practical opportunities for our students to test the theoretical information we give them about spirituality and Seventh-day Adventism, in a practical sense, they will never take ownership for that. And we are not completely educating them. Wherever possible, she says, during the school year, they should engage in city mission work. They should do missionary work in the surrounding towns and villages. They can form themselves into bands to do Christian help work. Students should take a broad view of their present obligations to God. They are not to look forward to a time after the school term closes when they will do some large work for God, but should study how, during their student life, to yoke up with Christ in unselfish service for others. If you heard Pastor Joe Reeves' sermon a couple of nights ago, 
He was challenging us as a church along these very lines and including our young people in this call. It is not enough to fill the minds of the youth with lessons of deep importance. They must learn to impart what they have received. From our colleges and training schools, missionaries are to be sent forth to distant lands. While at school, let the students improve every opportunity to prepare for this work. Here they are to be tested and proved that it may be seen what their adaptability is. What's their talent set? And whether they have a right hold from above. I have four children, wonderful children, 18, almost 16, 12, and 7. Three girls and a boy. Imagine with me for a moment if I took my youngest, Josiah, to the playground. And here's a picture of a playground, nice playground. Lots of different things, different apparatus. Imagine with me if I took Josiah by the hand and I walked him around to all of the different pieces of this playground. I can see a a teeter-totter and I can see monkey bars and I can see slides and swings and I showed him theoretically every single part of that playground. This is the teeter-totter. This is how the physics of it work. This is the swing. And if I were to push you, this, you would go up this high and climbing them. All of those things. I shared with him every detail about each part of that playground. And once finished explaining, I took him by the hand and I got into the car and we started driving home. And as I looked in the back seat with my rearview mirror, I see tears streaming down his face. And I say, Josiah, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Didn't you like the playground? And through his tears, you can imagine my little boy saying, and I really didn't do this, by the way. You could imagine my little boy saying, Daddy, I don't know if I like the playground. I never got to try it. I never got to experience it. Friends, have you ever wondered why so many young people leave our church? I would propose and submit to you today, it could be because we have not provided enough practical opportunities for young people to taste and see that God is good. I'm so grateful for the work that the Village School is doing and many other schools across our conference and our division that are giving young people practical opportunities. Because if we do not give them practical opportunities to test their faith, we are not completely educating them. We have had Bible labs, and that's wonderfully important, but sometimes it's very intermittent. And it just depends upon whether you have a great home and school leader or the teacher has enough time. When I went to Indiana Academy with this burden on my heart that I've just shared with you, and this quote ringing in my ears, we started a ministry called Project 58. It's still going today based on Isaiah chapter 58, which Ellen White says we should read over and over again. And in that chapter, God gives us 
the description of the kind of fast that he's asking us to live, to serve other people. And we took in our schedule once a month an entire afternoon where our entire school went out into the community with eight different outreach pods and we ministered to people in the community. We had a single mom's oil change. We had a prison ministry. We actually teamed up with Christmas Behind Bars with Lemuel Vega. There was a video earlier in the week. Kids went to the warehouse and packed uh, bags of of food and and different kinds of things and books and we took the children to to the jails and they ministered to those prisoners and the sergeant of one of those jails told us that of all the groups that come and visit the prisoners, when our young people would come and visit those prisoners, their behavior changed and improved for the longest period of time from the visit of our young people. We had a blanket-making pod. We had a bread-baking pod. We fired up the old bakery recipe for bread that was really delicious. And our students would bake the bread package it in professional bags with labels and just randomly distribute it out into the community with a little label. We asked ourselves the question, if the doors of our school closed tomorrow, would anybody care? And I want to challenge us today with our schools and our churches, if the doors of our schools and our churches closed today, would anybody care? And at that time, we asked ourselves that question and we said, no, no one would care. They don't know who we are. And in the process of wanting to completely educate our children, we were also building bridges to our community. We had one of the most prominent families in that county receive a loaf of bread, found out about our ministry because we also had a little brochure in there. She contacted the Cicero Church and asked if her child could be a part of Project 58. She enrolled her student in our school the next year the elementary school. We had a lady who got, saw one of our flyers in the library about the single mom's oil change. She came, brought her car. All they had to do was call the school, what kind of model the car, <coughs> excuse me. We'd, we'd have the oil, we'd have all of it prepared. The students would change the oil with our maintenance director. And the, the person that would come would sit at a table with, with an umbrella and muffins and lemonade and this dear woman had lost her job. She'd lost her house. Her son said, Mom, if you, if you give me the oil, I'll change it for you. She didn't even have the money to buy the oil. She came and brought her car. And she said, this is such an amazing blessing. We started to have people know who we were. We wanted to put a sign up in front of the school. And because of the codes of the village, we needed to apply for a variance to allow us to put this big brick granite sign out in front of the school. And when my business manager went and applied for that variance, the village council said, oh, we know who you guys are. You're the people that do the outreach in the community. And they approved our variance. We looked at, Lord, how can we fund this? How can we fund this outreach program, outreach ministry? We applied for a grant. Months later, Check for $23,000 on my desk over spring break. We had a shut-in ministry where we would visit some of the elderly who were shut into their homes and couldn't get out. We would take applications from them about food allergies and things that they liked and games that they might enjoy playing. Kids would go and spend hours with these elderly shut-in people 
And one gentleman who hadn't had a visitor probably in a while, the kids went to visit him, and he was dressed in his best suit with his hair all slicked back. And they spent the afternoon with him, and he had listed that he liked word puzzles, and they gave him some word puzzles. And at the end of their three, four-hour visit, they were getting ready to leave, and the dear old man went to give them back the word puzzles, and they said, no, sir, those are for you. And the man said, this day couldn't get any better. After Project 58 days, we would have testimony time the next day at chapel. Our students would line up. Line up to come to the mic and talk about how their experience reaching out to their community had affected their life. Life changing. My daughter, some seven years later, just recently said, and she was just a little girl at that time, she just recently said how much she loved Project 58. Now, here in the Michigan Conference, we're trying to launch an initiative just like Project 58, but instead of at one school, across the spectrum of our footprint here in the conference. The youth department has a ministry called Fieldwork, which is similar to what we were doing with Project 58. And so the youth department has allowed the education department to utilize this name, Fieldwork, and utilize it to apply that to an outreach ministry for each school. And this coming fall, we are working towards implementing service and outreach into the very cu curriculum of our schools. This year, the principal of Greater Lansing Avenue School caught the vision because I shared this presentation at a teacher's convention. And she and the Lansing staff and the community actually launched a fieldwork ministry where once a month, they were reaching out in the community just like we had done with Project 58. Friends, we don't have time. Jesus is coming. We need to make sure our priorities are where they need to be. He will bless us. I've seen it happen. If we're committed to him, let us pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would be with us, Lord. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your support. We know that you'll give it if we ask, and we do ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.